This morning we are concluding a series. We have been talking about cures for the common soul. We've been pointing out the power of the gospel to deal with those things that so easily entangle our hearts and minds and keep us from having spiritual health. This morning we want to to look at one of the symptoms of a sickened soul, which is confusion. We're in a broken world. There's a lot of confusion in our world right now. There's a lot of confusion about what's wrong, what can fix it. There's a lot of confusion even about identity. This week, if you've got your bulletin, would you mind taking it out? This week, we have a very uh, unique prayer. I, I say it's unique. This is not something you hear very often. Um, being prayed in churches, being given attention. There's so much assumption anymore uh, about who is and is not a Christian. This week, we're going to be praying, and I encourage you to pray this every day, that we would plead that God would convict and save any deceived, unregenerate church members. There are times when deceived, unregenerate church members work against what God is doing in the church. They cause believers to stumble, plead that God would deal with any members who may be deceived and are not truly saved, call on God to strip their hope in themselves and reveal to them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, there are many people in the world, some even in churches, who claim to be Christians, and they're not. And there's a confusion about that. It, 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 when a person is confused about where they stand with God and they claim to be a Christian, but they don't live like it, it, it causes confusion. You gotta understand that, that what makes a Christian a Christian is faith in Jesus Christ. Not just faith. Every human being on this planet has faith. The question is the object of that faith. And if the object of your faith is Jesus Christ, then you you have clarity. Understand, to have this faith, to experience this life, you've got to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If... You are indeed a Christian. You'll live like it. Understand it begins with believing in Jesus. And so when we talk about the brokenness of our world, we talk about sin and how it causes so much pain. In order for us to get out of this brokenness, get out of this pain that sin continues to erupt, we have to repent. That means we have to turn and we have to believe. We have to believe the gospel. We have to believe in what Jesus Christ has done to pay for our sins on the cross, to be raised on the third day, and to have the hope that he's going to return again. When you believe that, when you repent of trusting in self and believe in the gospel, you will recover and pursue God's design. You will be in the pursuit of godliness. Your lifestyle will always represent what you truly believe. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you'll live like it. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you'll live like it. 
you will have, if you are a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, you will have what the Bible calls fruit. You will, you will look more like Jesus. You will love more like Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you won't. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Living in obedience to God's word does not make you a Christian. Trusting in Jesus Christ makes you a Christian. When you are a Christian, the Spirit of God enables you to live in obedience to the Word of God. Obedience doesn't make you a Christian. It reveals that you are a Christian. And we live in a world where there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians who are not Christians. And there's confusion. And some of you may be here today and and you may be thinking, hey, I'm a Christian. And a question I will often ask is, well, why, why do you say that? How do you know that you're a Christian? And sometimes I'll get answers like, well, I was raised to be a Christian. Well, I was raised to be a pagan. That doesn't make me a pagan. There came a point at which I repented and believed. And, and then the ever, the ever popular, well, I go to church. Geography does not save you. Listen, if you sleep in a garage tonight, that will not make you a car. In order to be a Christian, you must be born again. You must have a new life. And that new life will be represented in the way you live. Jesus said if if your life is not changed, if you are not living for the Lord, then you don't know him. Continuing in Matthew chapter 7, listen to these sobering words of Jesus Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness, you who do not obey the law. Who is it that obeys the law? Those who have been transformed by Jesus Christ. Doing good things doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in Jesus Christ makes you a Christian. When you are a Christian, you live to please and honor Jesus Christ. And when you have that personal relationship with God, well, that defines you. It it strengthens you. It clarifies who you are and what you're living for. The most important thing you will ever know is who God is and how much he loves you. The God of the Bible is a terrifying, awesome, holy, just, loving, kind, gracious, merciful, almighty. And when you know him and you love him, you live like it. When you do not know him and you do not love him, It's recognized in your lifestyle. 
The first humans on this planet were confused about God. They were confused because they were deceived. I want to encourage you today to be deceived no longer if you are. And if you are clear on the gospel, I want to encourage you to lean in a little bit harder, a little bit more firmly, and stop making excuses for yourself. Call it what it is and get on with what God has for your life. Clarity that comes in the gospel is liberating. It's very easy to get confused in our world. Our world is a very broken place. And and there are all kinds of pieces of lies and deceit and information that are coming at us. We need to know what's true. We need to recognize confusion for what it is. So what is confusion? Here's the definition I wanna use. Realize it's a symptom, all right? Confusion is a symptom, a symptom of a sickness. So when you're sick, you will have symptoms, sore throat, cough, whatever. Confusion is a symptom. It's a symptom of something deeper that's going on inside. It's a symptom of an overwhelmed soul that struggles to maintain a solid hold on reality and truth. On reality and truth. When you lose a sense of what is real and what is true, you will be confused. And in your confusion, you will make decisions that cause brokenness because they will be sinful. Understand that this is more than just an academic. This is more than just what's going on in your mind. Faith engages both the mind and the emotions. And whatever you're thinking and feeling will ultimately drive how it is you live. It will determine what it is you do. So it's crucial. It's crucial that you, that you have a clear definition of reality, of what is true, and that you're able to live in it. Realize that... There are many lies coming at us. I wrote this sermon in May of 2018. This week as I was preparing it, I had much of the same heart and attitude of of when I wrote it over a year ago. This morning I got news that, that really impacted my heart. And thankfully being in the church this morning and singing and talking with, with many of, of, our, of our church family, my heart's been encouraged. But I began this day very downcast. The reason being is that yet another pastor has fallen away from the faith. I don't know if you know him, you may not. Josh Harris was a faithful minister of the gospel. We have used his resources here for years. This last week, he posted that, he said, if if you talk about it in secular terms, he said, I have deconstructed my faith. He said, if you speak of it in biblical terms, I have fallen away from God and I do not mourn that fact. I spoke with Pastor David this morning. We have removed all of his material from our resource. We're taking it off of right now media and anything else associated with him because he is deceived. He's holding on to a reality that is not true. Reality and truth is revealed in the word of God. This, this is truth. This is where we find truth. 
This is not a collection of sayings or stories. This is the word of God that expresses reality. Everybody in this room is answering four questions all the time. Where am I from? What went wrong? Who can fix it? Is there any reason to have hope? You're answering that question. You, when you got out of bed today, you, were, you are living in a reality. As you think about this upcoming week, you're thinking about this upcoming week in light of the way you see reality. The way you see reality is based on how you answer these questions. Where am I from? What went wrong? Who can fix it? Is there any reason to have hope? The Bible explains to us reality. The Bible is a single story that explains reality. What is reality? God created all things to be in harmony. Things are no longer in harmony. Why? Because we, his image bearers, were made stewards of his creation. And when we committed treason, that is sin, and we turned against God, there was a fall. And in that fall, there's death and destruction. So now we live in a fallen, broken world, but God did not abandon us to that world. Instead, God entered into our world. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, lived a holy life, died to pay for our sins. He defeated death on the third day when he was raised, and he's gonna return again, and he's gonna make all things new. That is our hope. Where did we come from? God created all things. What went wrong? We sinned. Who can fix it? Jesus Christ. Is there any reason to have hope? He's coming again. The, the best news that, that, that we have as believers is this world is not our home. For those of you who do not believe in Jesus Christ, friends, this is as good as it gets for you. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, friends, good news, this is as bad as it gets for us. When Christ returns, we will be healed and we will be whole and we will be where we are called and made to be. This is reality. Now the world, our government, our education system, the, the news media outlets, entertainment industry, they're all screaming at us other realities, false narratives, false stories. And, and what they're saying to us and what they're tempting us to say are, are nonsensical things like, I'm a cosmic accident. These narratives are, are leading us to say silly things like, I'm, I'm in need of a little spirituality, but I'm mostly okay. Leading us to say things like, hey, I hold no allegiance except to myself and what I feel is true and right. You know, causing us to be materialists, secularists, who would say all that is real is what I can measure in a physical sense. They're messages that breed hate. Messages and, and, and that lead us to say silly things like, what I have experienced on a personal level is what is real for all and authoritative. And if you don't agree with me, then I hate you and I have every reason to hurt you. It's what we're seeing in the news. It's what we've seen. It's what we saw in the Ku Klux Klan. It's what we see in Antifa. It's what we see in our world all over. People who say, my personal experience is reality. And if you don't agree with my personal experience and what I think is true, I have every right to hate you and to push you out of, of the public square and give you no right or reason to be able to speak in my school or do anything that is opposed to what I think is right because my experience is the most important thing. And then there's this whole nonsense of relativism that says, hey, my truth is true and your truth is true because there really is no truth. Now, what's interesting to me about this as I study our society and culture 
these messages are all so very different. These six sayings that we would be tempted to say, they, they, they don't in any way work together. And yet, they are, we're bombarded with these messages and day to day, depending on what we're listening to, what we're watching, what is feeding our sense of reality other than the word of God is what we will say. Friends, we need the word. The scripture explains reality. And there is an antidote for this confusion and it's found in these pages. There is an antidote. Here's the antidote. The antidote for confusion is experiencing the truth of the gospel. And when you experience, again, it's, ex it's an experience. It's not a cognitive analysis. It's an experience of being transformed by the gospel, by the living Christ, which enables us to live with confidence under God's authority. See, there's where the, 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 con the confusion is lifted. You're not always gonna understand your life. You're not gonna understand why a young mother was killed yesterday. You're not gonna understand why you suffer with depression. You're not gonna understand why you got cancer, why you lost your job, why your marriage is so hard, why it's so difficult to be a parent or to have a parent. You're not gonna understand all these little details, but here's what you can know. God made you to be in a relationship with him. You failed him, but he still loves you. He's died to forgive you and he will now live in you and guide you into your eternal home with him forever. That's reality. If you're a Christian, that's your reality. And you can face anything else knowing that that is your hope and that that is your truth. And today what we wanna do is we wanna understand how we can best mature in God's authority and relish in that clarity. If you've got your Bible and I hope that you do, let's go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna begin in verse 11 and uh, Brianna's gonna come and she's gonna read for us up to verse 16. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Ephesians chapter four and we're gonna study verses 11 through 16. Brianna, read that for us. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Brianna. <laughs> This little girl asked this week, she said, if you're such a good pastor, why do you always have to have kids read for you? <laughs> I said, because they're smarter than me. Remember, the first step in gaining clarity is repenting and believing the gospel. Again, everyone has faith. Every human being on this planet, everybody in this room right now, everybody hearing my voice right now, has faith. What is the object of your faith? And where is that leaning you? Where is that causing you? What are you, what are you basing yourself in? What are you falling into? How many of you have ever been a part of or seen one of those 
faith falls or trust falls. You know what I'm talking about? You know, they get you up on a table or a chair and then a group of people stand there and, and they say, we'll catch you. And it's one, two, three. And then the, and you got to live by faith. You got to fall. Let me show you an example of what you should not do. So I'm going to count to three. Just relax and fall. Okay. One, two, three. No, wait, no, no. Everyone has faith. Where your faith leans determines a lot about your life. The everlasting arms of God, by grace through faith in Christ alone, will catch you. Faith in anything else will lead to a nosedive. That's a fact. You have to choose. Who will you trust? Who will you believe? Whatever you believe will determine how you live. So are you trusting in Christ? And if you are trusting in Christ, if you really are, then it will show up in the way you live under God's authority. So how is it? How can we, how can we grow up into what God is doing in our life? How can the work that God is doing through the gospel, how can we experience that so there's a lack of confusion and much more clarity? Note how the gospel works. Three things I want you to see in today's text. The first one is this. Experiencing the gospel cures confusion in community. God has determined that all of his children are to be raised in a home, amongst a family, a church home. If you are a Christian and you are not a member, an active member in a church home, you are not doing what God commands you to do. This is not an individual sport, it's a team sport. God has provided his church and he has provided everything that we need as a church family to grow in maturity and Christ-likeness so that we can alleviate confusion. Notice what God has given us. You see it in the word. First of all, apostles and prophets. Why were they given? They were given so that we could have the scripture. How do we have the New Testament? It's based on apostolic authority. The apostles affirm this is the word of God. How did we know that the Old Testament is the word of God? The prophet said, thus saith the Lord. This is the word of God. The scripture claims to be the word of God. All spirit-filled believers know this to be the word of God because the word speaks. It's active. It cuts. It restores. It heals. It returns the purpose for which God sent it. There is a power in this word. And he gave us the word through the apostles and the prophets. But then he had the word spread. So he gave evangelists. Most of us in this room are, are non-Jews. We're Gentiles. How is it that we have come to know Jesus Christ? Because of evangelists. Because God raised up the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. How is it that that, that happened? We'll go back to Acts chapter 11 and you'll see that, that the, the Jews at that time pretty much racist, basically said, no, if you want to become a Christian, first you got to become a Jew. So they had to have this whole council in Acts 15, after Peter had already been sent by the Spirit of God in Acts 11. The Apostle Paul had to step in and defend that because there, there was a new day, and that day came because of the evangelists who were spreading the gospel throughout all the world, and we're to, to continue to do that today. But from 
From their work, we were formed into churches, church families. And in every church family, you will have, notice, shepherds and teachers. And notice what they do. They equip the people to do the work of the ministry according to the word of God. Friends, we have a significant number of staff here. I want you to understand something about our staff. We don't hire staff to do the work of the ministry. We hire staff to train the congregation to do the work of the ministry. We have a doctrine. It's called the priesthood of the believer. And what that doctrine teaches is, is that every single one of us have been made exactly the way God intends us to be made. And having been born again and been filled with the Spirit of God, we all have a spiritual gift. It is the responsibility of your leaders, like me, to equip you in the Word so that you can then go and fulfill your purpose that God designed for you. So that you can serve and do what God made you to do. And, and so the church is made up of God's people doing God's work together under God's authority according to his word. Now, if you are not a member of a local church or if you uh, plan to move to another city, you're gonna need to find another church family. If you ever move from here and we find out about it, you're gonna get a letter from me. And that letter is going to state, as soon as you find another church family, please let us know. It is our expectation that you go and engage in a new local church family where you're moving. When you go, and as you are considering a church home, please let me give you three things to make sure that you find. First of all, make sure the church is doctrinally sound based upon the word of God. If the people are not studying the word of God, if the pastor does not point to the word of God as the ultimate authority, leave. Give them a couple of chances, but if nobody opens a Bible, it's not a church. It's either a cult or a religious institution. Either way, it's not going to help you. Second, make sure that those who are members are born-again believers. A church is to be made up of baptized, born-again believers. What you want to avoid is a bunch of religious people. Religious people are the worst Read your New Testament, read the Gospels, and you will find Jesus was hardest on religious people. He seemed to hate them more than, you know, it's just awful because of what they did. See, born-again believers say this, I'm a sinner, I'm saved by grace, God has forgiven me, he's given me love, I'm gonna forgive you, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna tell you the truth, but I'm gonna love you no matter what. Religious people say, I am really smart, I am better than you, you need to be like me, you're the problem. That's what religious people do. They, they guilt you, they shame you. You know what Christians do? Christians say, God has, has transformed my life. He's given me hope, he's given me meaning. He's alive in me, I still got some work to do. Don't judge me too harshly, but know that I care about you. Religious people, I don't need anything. I read the Bible to confirm that I'm right and I'm basically wishing that you would confirm that I'm right and do what I'm telling you to do. Religious people are no good, <laughs> no fun. Christians are awesome. You can talk to Christians. You can dialogue with Christians. You you can speak what is true. Third thing to look for. So look for born-again believers. Look for biblical authority. Third thing, make sure everyone is under authority and accountable, especially the pastor. I am so grateful for our elders. We don't pay our elders. 
Our elders are lay leaders from our body of believers. And I answer to them. If I ever, if I ever fall away from doctrinal purity, they will fire me. If I ever seek to, to make a message about who I am and what I want you to do, they will fire me. I'm under authority. There's only one person that ever lived on this planet that did not need human authority for accountability, and that was Jesus Christ. The rest of us need authority. The rest of us need accountability. You, I, we, all of us need accountability. We need people in our lives that can say lovingly, you're wrong, what you're doing there is not correct, you need to be careful, that is not good. And when these things are there, there is protection. Without these things, there's confusion. I so appreciate what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. They were infighting. They were having all kinds of problems. And he said, look, guys, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. What you are experiencing is not God's will. you got to understand, God brings clarity. And that clarity comes when we are under the authority of the teaching of the Word of God. And we are spreading that and growing in that and living it out in our daily life. Second, experiencing the gospel cures confusion with discernment. So it's in community, it's in a church family, but inside that church family there's discernment, and discernment is the ability to perceive error and avoid it. Realize that in every generation the church must maintain a gospel-focused, biblically-based understanding. When that is true, we will look what the scripture says, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, A faith that saves is a faith that is based upon the Son of God, Jesus Christ. A faith that saves, it builds us up in maturity and allows us to stand against lies, sin, and deceit. A faith that saves, it makes us mature. Understand what a mature believer is. A mature believer is someone who is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. There are those who want to say, no, 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 no. A mature believer is someone who's got cognitive knowledge, someone who's been to seminary, has lots of biblical knowledge. I'm going to just tell you something right now. The devil knows more sound Bible and theology than anybody in this room, and I can guarantee you he's not a Christian. So it's not about this. And again, we've already talked about it. It's not about geography. Well, I've been in this church forever. Yup. Yup. My, my, my Jeep sleeps in the, the garage every night. If I ever sleep in there, it doesn't make me a Jeep. Although it would be cool to be a Jeep. No, no, no. When you're in Christ, you're being built up. You're becoming more and more like him. So that what happens? Look at this. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Remember what Jude wrote to us. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our holy master and Lord Jesus Christ. Please understand that our elders and our staff and our leadership, we are constantly on the lookout for these folks. When people come to us to join our church, what we ask for is a statement of faith. You have to sign our articles of faith and you have to give testimony. You have to write out your testimony of how you came to trust Jesus Christ. Now, if you were going to destroy a church that was strong, had strong boundaries, you know the best way to kill it? 
is to sneak up and kill it from the inside out, to, to deceive it, to get, to get a lie, to permeate the whole body. What our, our leadership is constantly looking to do is to look for the lies and the deceit and to protect our congregation from that sickness. And so there's gonna be times when well-intentioned people are gonna be told no. No, we're not gonna teach those resources. Why not? It's not biblically sound. Well, I really like the way they teach it. We don't care. Style is second to content. We must hold to the word of God. This is our authority. This is where we stand. And when we stand there, we discern. We have discernment. We can protect. We can stand strong. It's clear. Listen, if we get away from the word of God, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. We're gonna have to rely on the personality of a leader, of the ideas of a dreamer, of the motivation of a charmer. You know one of the greatest things I love about my tenure here at this church one of the things, and this is a pride thing. It's not like a bad pride. I'm very proud of this in a good way. When people talk about this church, you know what they never call it? They never call it Jason Pettis' church. You want to know why? Because as Southern as I can say it, it ain't. This is Jesus Christ's church. And we all serve him. We each have a role. We each have a function. But this is his church built on his word for his glory. And when we have this word, we have the discernment to recognize that. The last thing, note, experiencing the gospel cures confusion through love. As we hold to biblical authority, we must speak this truth in love. We must always speak in love. My grandmother loved me, and I loved her. She loved me when I was a devil, and I was a devil. And she often mediated on my behalf to make the punishment I readily deserved lessened. But you know, there are some days when I thought I would rather be taking a beating than have to sit down and talk to her. Because see, after she would get me off of a, a good beating, she would say, okay, I want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, no, no. She'd pull me aside and she'd say, I love you so much. You have got to stop acting like this. And I would cry. Okay, Grandma, I will. They could beat me for days and I wouldn't get a tear. But she loved me. She moved my heart. And she'd tell me, I love you. Here's truth. And then she'd make me watch John Wayne movies. <laughs> Seen them all. The man who shot Liberty Valance, the best. But she, what she'd do, she showed, she'd say, be the good guy. And you know what? Out of love, sometimes, I'd try. But it wasn't until I met the ultimate good guy in Jesus Christ that my life was changed. And friends, some of you sitting here and hearing my voice right now, you've not been changed by Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian because you've not repented and believed. And I can't think of a better day than to do that than right now. Right now, today. Let me tell you what I did. I got on my knees 
And I said, Jesus, forgive me and take over my life. And he did. Some of you need to do that right now. Some of you are Christians. You really are. But the people around you would never know it, would they? Your lifestyle, your language, the habits you've accumulated. Friends, you need to repent. You need to come under God's authority according to his word. And you need to renew your faith. And we all need to pray. Friends, we have a revival prayer to pray this week that we would be a unified body of born-again believers. Come and pray for any in our, in our congregation who have been deceived and there's confusion about their salvation and pray that we would be revived. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for coming, for dying, for now being our mediator, giving us access to the Father in your name. And thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, now please move. Uh, enable those who don't believe to believe now. They would get on their knees and, and repent and believe. For those who are your children, Father, who, who are stumbling, God, call them to the way that is level, the path that you, you call the way. And then hear the prayers of your people, God. Hear your leaders. Hear those who are members of your church as we come. And we pray today for revival. Come and pray as we sing together.